Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. So hey, public power people, on today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest power markets on Aaron Reports, hear about the key takeaways from the NRF with Tomas Morrissey, give Greg Mendoza an opportunity to pitch a job opening at PNGC, get an update from Scott Sims on the Blue Sky Initiative, and as always, cover more public power and public power adjacent news on Public Power Desktop. I'm the voice of the underground and economic development manager for Klatskin IPUD, Brian Fawcett. I'm Paul Dockery, the manager of the power department and co-host of Public Power Underground, who's wearing a sweater, not a bathrobe. Appreciate the clarification. This is Aaron Guillory, the star of Aaron Reports, co-star of Public Power Underground, and financial analyst for Klatskanai PUD. I'm Ian Bledsoe, the current power analyst for Klatskanai PUD and a co-star of Public Power Underground. I saw a phone sneaking up there for a second. Were you like <laughs> Snapchatting this, Aaron? What was going on? <laughs> she was looking up who she is. Yeah. <laughs> Does that remind you of your name? <laughs> out of the station. <laughs> Can you also clarify, Aaron, is that a nun's habit you're wearing? A nun's habit? Uh, this is your classic uh, Banana Republic jacket. I just I didn't know there was a classic Banana lighting. Republic jacket. It's not. There's nothing classic about it, but it is very comfortable. Yeah. Ian and Brian both have on collared shirts. I'm very proud of you. Very nice. Moving on. Yeah, I was going to say, now that we've had the part of the podcast that we will normally cut out, we'll... Uh... <laughs> Start this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Reports. Fantastic, love it. So this is Aaron Reports, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators and get on fish for April 29th, 2021. I'm Aaron Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April September flows at the Dow's are expected to be at 86% and normal, down 4% from last week. The Dow's and Grand Coulee Dam affluent elevation data are stale this week, so we'll move on to checking on snow in the region using Antergy's aggregation of basin data. The snow water equivalent for BC Hydro Generation Basin is 106.59% of normal for mid-sea, 87.94%, and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through the Bonneville Dam, they estimate there is a 107.64% of normal snow blanket. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery April 29th is at $42 with gas at $2.82 per MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of $22.30 and heat rate of $16,000. In term markets, bomb for mid-sea continues to climb up $2.85 from a week ago, now at $39.36 per megawatt hour. Mid-sea power for Q3 2021 is at $115.75 with Suez gas at $3.55. That's $3.55, translating to a heat rate of $32,800. In bond markets, one Washington water district issued a taxable water revenue refunding borrowing for 2430000 with maturities due between 2021 and 2032. <clears throat> An average interest rates of 1.69% and yields of 153 bips. Taking a look at fish counts for adult spring Chinook this week, uh, 2,433 Chinook passed through the Bonneville Dam yesterday, a 2,130 count up from last Monday. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak load this past week was 6,982 April 27th at 7.35 in the a.m. During load's peak, hydrogen was at 8,287. Windgen was at 962 megawatts. Conventional units were at 500, and nuclear was at 991. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the 6 to 10-day outlook uh, has temp in the region with areas with a 33 to 50% chance of being below normal heading uh, northwest and above as you head east. 
uh, with some areas in the normal range. Precipitation in the region has a 33 to 50% chance of being below normal in our neck of the woods with areas north and south in the normal range. Their 90-day report again shows likelihood of a 33 to 60% chance of being uh, below normal precip. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. We are checking briefly on the weather in Kalispell, Montana, because I think that may be a key indicator on snow runoff. The, the key thing is when we get rain, warm rain on that snow and how fast that's going to run off the rest of the snow. Right, Ian? That's what I hear. Yep. And the, the other thing I wanted to note was uh, CGS is taking its outage. And I want to say May, it's coming up in May, early May, May 8th, May 4th. Man, I should have Googled that. So we also might need to uh, find a host for the rest of this meeting because it's currently 75 degrees out and there's 2,400 fish that went over Bonneville Dam. I think I might need to be heading to the river. Go catch one of those. Yeah, keep bantering about that. Fish, fish, fish. I'm trying to find the news on Energy Northwest to make sure I get the date right. <laughs> Can't put the pressure on for banter. It just makes it that much more difficult. Oh, man. If you really want to know about the out May of the PGS... Go listen to our previous episode. Yeah, May 8th. That's coming up. May 8th. We will not have an episode before then because we're taking a break next week. May 8th is going to be the CGS refueling outage. We did it. Good job, team. (laughs) Okay. Next up uh, is our weekly walkthrough, uh, Northwest Public Power and Public Power Adjacent News in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. And I'm starting this week off. So Pacific Northwest Utilities Conference committees, uh, also known as PNUC or Peanuts. Senior policy analyst Tomas Morrissey returns to Public Power Underground to provide some highlights from their recently completed 2021 Northwest Regional Forecast. Hey, Tomas, welcome back to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, it's good to be back. It is great to have you back. Um, The 2021 NRF came out and I got to the website and it said, need a guide? Contact Tomas Morrissey. And I was like, yes, I need a guide. There you are, my guide. So in 200 words or less, can you summarize the key takeaways from the NRF? So I'm I'm just introducing myself to it now. Can you synthesize something for me? Absolutely. It'll probably be a little more than 200 words, but we'll see how I do. So for those of you um, who haven't looked at the Northwest Regional Forecast before, it's a utility view of Northwest um, loads and power resources. Um, it's The Northwest is roughly defined by the Power Act of 1980. So it's all of Washington, Oregon, most of Idaho and Western Montana. It's not perfectly sitting in that footprint. We have some folks kind of on the edges, but it's roughly that area. And what we do every year is we ask utilities to provide us with their one and two load forecasts and what they expect they can get out of their resources, both on an annual energy basis and also during a a winter and summer peak event. And then we sum all that data together and we take a look at the output. When I look at the report, I tend to look at it as more of a barometer um, because we have a really exact um, assumption for say hydro is always at 8%, loads are always one in two, and we don't look at market resources, it's just utility only. It's not a great document to try to use to figure out you know, what's the exact need for power, but it does help illustrate how the power system's shifting and, and changing. 
So one thing we see, and you can see it here in the surplus deficit um, values at the bottom of this table. Um, why don't we go forward a couple of tables to, I was at the peak ones a little bit more, maybe peak summer or winter. Let's go one more. This is winter, okay. So just throw everybody, this so you know, Tomas, this is an audio format primarily. So we gotta, can't rely too much on the graphics, okay? That's true, yeah. Okay. But I'm, I'm always gonna talk about winter and summer peak because to me, those are the two areas that pop out as um, the most concerning, at least in this report. And what we're seeing in both winter and summer is this growing um, resource deficit. And that deficit is due to both forecasted load growth and also the coal units retiring. So you have you know, more demand expected to come in, less supply there to meet it, and you get this gap. Um, we do look at future resources as well, though. And going forward in the next 10 years, we see a lot, like over 6,000 megawatts of renewables coming to the Northwest, mostly wind and solar, and some capacity resources as well. And so if you add those resources into the picture, that deficit gets a lot smaller. Although I think the, the asterisk on that is a lot of those future resources, or we call potential resources, and they haven't been approved from a regulatory process, they haven't been licensed and cited. So they're a bit squishy as to if they'll arrive um, on schedule and, and at spec. So looking at the report, and again, I mentioned looking at kind of like a barometer and how we can assess trends. One of the big trends that's been jumping out to us in the last couple of years is that the summer um, resource deficit, and this is a graph you want to scroll up, is starting to catch up to, and I think actually touches for a moment here, the winter resource deficit. And the reason that's occurring is largely uh, load forecasts. The winter load forecasts, we looked at it over the last 10 years, they've always been projecting growth, but they also tend to start at the same place or maybe even a little bit lower than the year previous. The summer forecasts, on the other hand, have been tracking as you'd expect. They tend to start at a higher place every year and continue to forecast stronger growth in the winter. And that's what's driving um, the summer need catching up to the winter need. And one thing that I think about a lot with this report is we don't look at market resources. So we don't look at non-firm um, IPPs in the Northwest. We don't look at imports that aren't firm contracts um, from say California or BC. And when I think about the last summer and what occurred with Kaiso having their adequacy curtailments and seeing you know, super high power prices at Palo Verde and, and other Western market hubs, um, I get nervous about how much we can import, particularly in the summer, in the next couple of years. So even though today we show a, a deeper winter deficit than summer, I, I'm personally a little bit more concerned about summer adequacy. You know, winter can also be scary. You get more variability in hydro and weather. So maybe you get a really extreme winter load event in a really critical water year. And that could be challenging, but of my thinking, um, at least for now, summer is looking like the more testing of the two seasons. So, and that maybe aligns with, you know, every week Aaron talks about market forwards and we look at the third quarter and it's yeah. almost like the fear index is really high then because the prices are at really high heat rates, not just at high prices, but yeah. also high heat rates. So maybe that concern you're sharing about the the summer being feeling a little bit different than the winter, which we've dealt with for a long time, uh, is, is kind of translating to the market. Uh, yeah, I think it might be. Um, one kind of 
side note, speaking of heat rates, um, we're working on a project right now with the system planning committee. Um, we're tracking different power system trends and one metric we're trying to track um, with the help of a member utility are implied market heat rates. And that's been fascinating to look at over the last 10 years. And we're starting to see, and it's still draft, so we'll have to double check the numbers. We're starting to see more high, mar more high market heat rate events um, in the last three, four years than you know, the previous decade. That is really fascinating. It'll be a great study. Maybe you can come back and share that when it gets done. It'd be great to have you back. Um, but what I'm hearing is if it's a barometer from to prior net uh, Northwest requirements forecast to this one, it continues a trend you've seen over the past few years of this continued growth in the summer peak load and getting to the place where it's matching up with the winter. That's like the trend, the barometer trend. Yeah, the load is not quite matching up. You know, an extreme winter peak in the Northwest is still going to be, at least today, is still going to be higher than an extreme summer peak. But the the resource need is catching up. And okay. you know, another layer to put onto that is typically in the summer, um, your thermals can't run quite as hard. Um, you're often in a worse water condition. You know, August hydro is it's a pretty tight band, and the band is usually on the poor side. Um, so I think that the stress is definitely catching up in the summer. Okay, good clarification. If not, right here, it may be surpassed. Yeah, great clarification. That's uh, fascinating. Glad you got it published again. Uh, hopefully, Shauna has given you some good kudos for getting it done again on time. Well, she does uh, a lot of work on it too. So, yeah, big kudos I, to Shauna as well. I believe you, Shauna and Val, do a lot of great work together. Uh, thank you again. And please come back and uh, get another notch on your belt. The Anadromous Championship belt, that is. Which we're trying to get it for you. <laughs> Very. You were an early adopter of the underground and probably one of the reasons that it got any momentum. So thank you. Oh, thanks. I think I'm one of your first subscribers. They, you know, it's when it work. pops on my YouTube feed, it's, uh, yeah, telling you this earlier, it's, it's a really good way just to get caught up on, you know, a week's worth of energy news and updates. So really big thank you for putting it out. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a fun endeavor. Um, so we're going to send it back to the underground for some more news. Sounds good. In true public power underground fashion, PNGC powers vice president of power supply and friend of the underground, Greg Mendoza passed along a job opening to share with the public power community. So we asked him to jump on the under underground and record his own promo. Greg, welcome back to public power underground. So excited. Thank you for having me. I uh, am am eager to get as many visits as I can. I need the I need the belt in uh, my background, so I'm I'm uh, I'm willing to talk about anything and everything. The 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 return counts. This whole idea of like the the salmon return counts. <laughs> your idea. You're like the godfather of the belt. Um, so we're gonna. I'm I am I'm very committed to colluding with you on trying to get you the belt. I'm here for it. Okay. Yeah, some some behind the scenes dealing. I'm always good for that. <laughs> so you recently sent me some uh, like uh, some content ideas around PNGC hiring for a vice president of corporate strategy and governmental affairs. So this is your this is your chance. Show me some wow. Show me some pizzazz in 200 words or less. Give me your best job promo for this job, PNGC, and most importantly, public power. 
the, the 200 words is going to be a problem, but I'll try to work within the limits. And those, those words don't count. Um, so, so yeah, we, we do have an open position on our executive team. Uh, Ashley Slater is, is uh, leaving us. She's moving on to be a VP of Regulatory Affairs at NRECA. So luckily, she'll still be in the family. Uh, but we have we have this position, and it's it's really actually uh, expanded a little bit um, into something that's the vice president of corporate strategy and government affairs. So this person is going to be busy, um, and this person should be uh, really passionate about corporate strategy and government affairs. We, we actually think those two things uh, fit together really well. A lot of the uh, activities and a lot of the big moving pieces that you've heard us talk about. Our big three, for example, they have both of those components. Um, and I, I think that uh, somebody coming in is, is really going to have a huge opportunity to um, come in and move the needle uh, for both PNGC and, and hopefully the region. The last thing I'll say is, is this position specifically, at least in my tenure at PNGC, is, is, has very distinguished alumni. So you'd be joining a core group that maybe not a lot of people know, but Ashley Slater leaving, like I said, VP of uh, Regulatory Affairs at NRECA. Previous to that, Dan James, Deputy Administrator. Previous to that, Scott Carwin, uh, Northwest Power or NWPPA Executive Director. And previous to that, Pat Wrighton, who was uh, CEO of PNGC, Pacificor, and now he's the Senior Vice President at Berkshire Hathaway Energy. So it is a, it is a distinguished alumni group. Um, we have all of their pictures hanging in the wall no, I'm kidding. But but uh, you'd be joining that alumni group uh, just to give you a sense of, of how big and how awesome this job could be. Uh, you know, people have moved on to some pretty awesome stuff. So there's a so lot going a, on. Uh, it's a pipeline position. It's like you're 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 generating like amazing, talented people and helping them grow in their careers. That's a great opportunity. I, I like to think that uh, people could also stay if they want. People could stay if they want. They could be amazing in PNGC as long as they want to be. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a great position. I, I think um, anybody who's interested in government affairs, corporate strategy, or if you know anybody, uh, take a look, pass it along. One of the actually interesting things too is, I think uh, it's listed on there. But you could be 100% remote, Washington and Oregon already blessed uh, as places you could live. But if you uh, are choosing to live somewhere else, you could always come talk to us. I see relocation to Portland is not required. Give, give our listeners on the podcast, my favorite viewing technique, um, the, the ways to get to this ad. So how do you find it? Uh, you could find it on my personal LinkedIn page if you'd like to help me build my brand. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> you could you could find this on I think this is on energycentral.com uh, and I'm sure it's posted at both NRECA, uh, which is the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association uh, webpage, and then NWPPA. Yeah, I haven't went and looked for it on NWPPA jobs, but there it is. We did it live. It is on NWPPA. I don't see it listed on your website, but I am not too familiar with the structure of your website, having only navigated to the expertise section regularly. Yeah. And there's a picture of me. So it is. it's uh, a great picture. Yeah. That, great that's headshot. all you need. You don't need a career section. Just, just that. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for coming back on public power underground. Great to have you back. Great to get you a return count. All right. Thanks, Paul. And back to the underground for news.
Next up, Public Power Council's Executive Director Scott Sims returns to Public Power Underground to provide an update on the Blue Sky Initiative. Hey, Scott, welcome back to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, how's it going? I love the energy. How's, how's everything going today? It's going great. It means you get a return count. You've returned. You're on the return count list. I'm very excited. That's right. I swam back upstream. Yeah. Yeah. So this all, I got an in for you to come back because we had a clarification on PPC Members Forum. And in true public power fashion, public power underground fashion, I turned it into an excuse to get you back on. So Blue Sky Initiative, a lot going on. Sounds amazing, ambitious. Uh, all the things. Want to learn some more? So, what do you, what's going on on Blue Sky? Anything sure. PPC wants well, to? Well, I'll do like I'll do a super fast rewind here, old school rewind. Where basically, um, you know, we've heard a lot of folks in the region talking about what the future could be, and and there are some folks who had some real passion and some real energy around the Representative Simpson plan, which was really a rethinking of the entire energy system in the Northwest. And I would say, among our members and among folks in public power, some people loved it, and some people did not love it. Uh, but one thing is, regardless of where you felt on the spectrum, uh, people really, it was a catalyst, really. It, it was something that said, hey, let's be thinking about some institutional and some bigger kinds of changes that might might occur out there. So we latched onto that energy and said, let's create the Blue Sky Initiatives at PPC, where we basically open up the doors to people thinking beyond what we're working in right now. So we, we have many initiatives we work on right now that are really about reducing the cost of BPA or boosting its revenues, right? The whole federal Columbia River power system, hard to, hard to say it all quickly. Uh, so the federal Columbia River power system is really, you know, obviously a very integrated, very complex machine. How can we extract the best value out of it from a cost standpoint and also a revenue generating standpoint? That's, that's traditionally where we can't come from. But, you know, as a trade association, it's really our obligation to say, what are our members thinking beyond what we're working on today? And this has really allowed us to say, you know what, let's, let's open those doors up and see what people have to share with us. And we just this morning concluded the, the sixth of our listening sessions. And it's been, uh, it's been a great journey. We've had some really great feedback from folks about the kinds of things we might explore in the future. So it, 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 it always seems like when we go on these roads, we do hit into these like roadblocks, institutional roadblocks of, oh, that's not, that doesn't come to what the Northwest Power Act prevents us from doing that. Or, you know, that if we push too hard here, we'll have this other industry group. So this is kind of a, let's ignore the roadblock initiative. Is that kind of the way you're thinking about it? That's just right. Let's just, you know, it's in the true, the true uh, spirit of brainstorming, right? Put it all on the table, even if there were people in the room who, you know, might gasp at, at the mention of an idea. But it's been really great because people then don't have an immediate, you know, decision on, uh, I like this, I don't like this, I have to say something about it publicly or not. People can just actually cogitate on it. We put it in the hopper as something that we'll put on the list and we'll, we'll work through that winnowing process later. But initially, it's really all about getting those ideas on the table and I think, probably more importantly, having some meaningful conversation about it. So having people share a little bit more about what they mean. So when you just mentioned, for instance, you know, opening the Northwest Power Act, you know, that unto itself is, it sounds like a very big deal, right? But then we talk about, well, actually, it has been surgically opened uh, over the years uh, in the past for very specific changes. So we can then start talking about, well, people have an, ap an aptitude for a big, huge change in the Power Act, or do we have something that's on a much smaller scale? So those are the kinds of things that people are, are bringing to the table. And it's been, it's really fun to have that, to have that journey with our membership and have them really actively engage. We've had a really great sessions. 
Absolutely. So it sounds like you had a series of sessions with some PPC members. Um, yep. Did you find that in those conversations, there was still a psychological roadblock on some of this stuff? Because sometimes when you're trying to be creative, you still end up with like the, the subconscious roadblock. Did, did you find right. that some people had them still? And how, how's right. it been? Well, no. So we, you know, in this case, we said we're going to open up the doors to any kind of idea and not have people immediately bring the sort of the baggage with them, right? So, uh, yeah. even, you know, the self-regulation, if you will. So that's you know, this is the front end of the of the process where you really get a chance to just kind of brainstorm and, and freeform a little bit about the kinds of things that you'd like to see. And as you know, in brainstorming, it then creates additional conversation, you know, that spurs off. And that's that's where I think the real magic happens is that people start to engage about. The, the what ifs and and some of the ideas around um, what could be right and so that's the fun part I would say you know there's also the, been this element that's been really fascinating along the way a thematic element which has been we always go to all of our meetings right now in this pandemic world scripted to essentially a topic right today's meeting is going to be about X Y Z tomorrow's meeting is going to be about A B C so we're always talking about these specific um, things that we're going to be talking about in a meeting the Blue Sky Initiative is really saying. We're going to give you the space and the time to just talk through some things that you really think are important or, or instrumental or have been rallying around your mind and you want a chance to get them out on the table. And I think that people, what I'm finding is people really welcome that chance to be with their colleagues uh, in a way that they normally would have been, you know, in our uh, in-person gatherings. We would normally have, you know, a break in the meeting or we might have, you know, some a happy hour afterwards where people get together and talk about some of these things. This has kind of been that glue for folks. Uh, to have some time with their peers that's not so scripted and not so large. You know, as you know, going to the PPC forums over the years, you know, our executive committee meetings are attended by, you know, anywhere from 200 to, to 300 folks. And it can be hard to have, you know, an open brainstorming conversation in that kind of, uh, in, of a, that kind of environment. So these smaller gatherings have really allowed that to take place. It's been pretty great. Yeah. And so the, the long range planning committee is, is ultimately going to siphon through all of these listening sessions, it sounds like, and try to rationalize and, and package them. Um, yeah. I also think I understood that there's opportunity for not just those that were invited to the listening sessions, but also other staff of public power councils membership. So could you talk through that a little bit. Sure, absolutely. Well, we wanted to make sure that we were in, as involving our membership as possible. So we included the uh, blue sky at ppcpdx.org. So again, it's blue sky at ppcpdx.org. And that's an opportunity for folks to, to email us if one of these sessions didn't work for their schedule, or, you know, maybe they're driving down the road on a Saturday and had an additional thought and uh, wanted to stream in our direction. So it's really a catch all that way. But yeah, we're, we're open to all of our members to, uh, you know, and, and staff and, and elected officials, you know, the more thoughts that we can get in the mix, we think the better. And there will be a winnowing process. That's right. With our long range planning committee and with our ultimately our executive committee to, uh, to sort of work, you know, work through some of these, what are the more practical ones? Where are the ones where people have some real passion behind them that they think are going to be meaningful for us to pursue in the future? And we'll talk then, you know, eventually about, um, you know, that some of the, you know, the checks and balances, right? So folks that at staff capacity might have some additional insight into what, what one of these things might be more palatable or, or um, possible than others, right? There's just going to be something that going to be easier to accomplish and something that going to be harder ta to tackle, but that's okay. And we may actually get to the point where people say, I want to put additional resources in this. Let's go with, with whatever initiative uh, might be out there. So that compression will start, I would say, over the next uh, couple of months. But right now, it's the, it's the wide open, collect any kind of idea uh, sort, of, sort of adventure. 
Yeah, big ambitious scope of thinking. Uh, really like the brainstorming format. Try to get through some of the traditional roadblocks. So that's a great idea. I'm glad y'all are doing it. Sounds really exciting. Yeah, it's been fun. And I'd say the ancillary benefit is that we're getting a lot of uh, feedback and ideas that feed into our ongoing regular initiatives, right? So, you know, we happen to have just gone through a rate case settlement process, you know, PPC sort of led an effort with a, with a bunch of coalition supporters in public power uh, to get a settlement through uh, at, at BPA. We're in process and very hopeful there, which would be a power reduction, uh, rate reduction from Bonneville first in a decade, which is kind of amazing. So amazing. those kinds of, yeah, those kind of things though, people talk about in these, in these meetings, I think the things come up like, well, we just went through a rate case process and it's never overly fun. Well, what can we do to make it easier? Right. What can we do to make the, reduce the transaction costs? So those in terms of, you know, the, the human capital that's involved in that kind of thing. So we start talking about some of these things that are already in motion, you get additional feedback. We've had a lot of con uh, contributions about post-2028 contracts and what the world might look like uh, beyond 2028 with BPA or not with BPA. Um, so that's that's been really helpful too, uh, because those are, of course, initiatives that are underway already at PPC. Yeah, well, this is amazing. I do think when if the settlement gets finalized, you don't count your chickens before they're hatched. But if it is, we need to have like a celebratory return. It's like a big, the big return counts. We need Mike Dean. We need you. We need we need some big return uh, we, we celebratory. Would, we would love that. And, you know, it really is. That was really a coalition effort. I mean, you know, you think about if you're looking at this from Bonneville standpoint, they want to see whether there's a coalescing of public power or not. And so it was very important to be able to have those additional partners. It, you know, it wasn't just the Public Power Council. There were other trade associations and individual utilities who really uh, helped garner some, some support. And uh, I can de definitely tell you our staff were uh, relieved, uh, excited, tired, maybe a whole range of emotions, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, we, were, we were excited to, to get across that transit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you. And it sounds like long range planning committee is going to be the nexus for this blue sky conversation. The chair of that is. Uh, yeah, the, the chair is Deborah Smith, our former PPC chairwoman. Uh, you know, we do a two year cycle. So she is now leading uh, the uh, the long range planning committee, which is great. So uh, she's yeah. very long range focused. And of course, Seattle City Light's got a lot of different initiatives they're pushing forth that are uh, looking out into the future. So it's a great uh, skill match up there. So we're really excited to have her as our vice chair. And of course, Roger Klein as our chairman gets to go to all the committee meetings. So he's there too. Yeah. So it's, it's great. So yeah. And you know, that, that just speaks to these member driven organizations, right? We don't uh, survive or thrive without heavy involvement of the people who are in leadership positions. So it's, you know, we really, and that's something that, you know, they don't often get sort of accolades or, or noticeable accomplishments at work. They're regular jobs for doing these additional trade head jobs, but they're very important. Yeah. Very important. And Deborah Smith is a great leader in, in the public power and the Northwest public power. She's been on public power now, great interview on public power. Now she is not yet a friend of the underground. So maybe we can leverage oh, yeah. you to help get her on to talk about some more about the Blue Sky Initiative in the future. What do you think? Oh, that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to give updates and, and uh, share on that, in on that. And yeah, if you want us to come in a celebratory mode after the settlement deal gets inked, you know, count us in. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks for coming back to Public Power Underground. Great to see you again, Paul. I appreciate the opportunity. Now back to the rest of the underground for news. In a further effort to move its community closer to its net zero 2050 goal, the city of Melrose, Massachusetts, 
not uh, in California, is unveiling utility pole-mounted EV chargers. The chargers will be installed 10 feet high on utility poles with retractable cables that automatically extend extend when a user enables the charging station using their phone. The pole-mounted installation will reduce insulation costs by as much as 70%. For more, head over to Utility Dive to check out the article. Really curious, I, did, did they provide any clarification on whether they had some like control functionality? Can you pay there? Is it, you got to, you did say they have to use the app, don't you? you it looks like it's all it. done through smartphone. There's just a QR code lower on the pole oh. that you scan. And then, uh, so all of the infrastructure is is kind of kept Up away above. from folks. Yeah, who might mess with it. And then you can retract so, it. Really interesting, really innovative use of, of infrastructure. Real, I'm a big fan. Can they do DC fast chargers like that or are they limited to level two? I think it's level two, right? I, I believe it would be pretty tough to put that infrastructure on a pole, although maybe not impossible. Just more, just more junk overhead. Mm -hmm. I think the simplicity of the service from a, like a transformer up on the pole down to the level two chargers is probably a, a three-phase service would be a little more complicated as well. What I think we need to get to, cause I still see a meter base, right? I was wondering about that. Yeah. I think we need to get to the point where we convince our peers that they don't have to meter all the electricity for mm -hmm. electric vehicles, right? Or not use our standard revenue grade meters and just a, a, accept a lower level of accuracy on your EV charging. There are ways to do this without meter grade, revenue grade yeah. meters, right, Brian? I mean, if these are utility owned, I don't know what um, regulations we have to comply with. <clears throat> we don't bill ourselves. We, we do kind of keep track of the energy we use, but I'm pretty sure we don't bill ourselves. So I'm not sure that there's a need for a revenue grade meter. And um, Theoretically, you can get that metering. You can get energy usage from the chargers themselves uh, to, to track whatever needs to be tracked from the utility side. I think that's wonder, service. the next level of like, you know, utilities are, we're fairly conservative people and we like to do things the same way and be really conservative about the way we track what we use. But I do think there's like a, a level of like, but to provide this, the use case for this is pretty simple and we could probably benefit our customers and ourselves by rethinking that meter base. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I yeah, wonder I if uh, the revenue quality meter is required by certain programs that track the electricity as a electric vehicle fuel in order to generate, you know, some sort of clean fuel standard credits. I don't doubt that. I do think that's another area where we can educate those that are developing the program because they want the same thing as us, which is, you know, have more in adoption of these vehicles. And if you can convince them, like, you don't have to have, we can get you close. How, what level of accuracy do you really need in order to satisfy the requirements of your program? We can get you close without a revenue grade meter. Yeah. If you're one or 2% different or something like that, potentially, I, I don't think that's a big deal. Okay, what's up next? All right, this week in the Daily Energy Insider, we read about the launch of Daimler Trucks North America and Portland General Electric's heavy-duty electric chuck, truck, chuck, truck, truck charging site. <laughs> the first of its kind and equipped with eight vehicle charging stations. Uh, this is great, so please keep listening. 
Uh, the site provides service to commercial and all levels of uh, electric vehicle charging, as well as an active research site for PGE and DTNA for energy management and charger performance. The site called Electric Island is located on North Portland, Swan Island, and future upgrades are anticipated of new technologies to advance power delivery capabilities and allow for further on-site fleet and energy management testing potential. Love the Portland Pride here. Maybe safe to consider the name a misnomer when it comes to the bigger picture of how this project will play in Portland's push for a greener future. For more, search for Daily Energy Insiders article by Chris Galford covering Daimler and PGE's electric truck charging site. Once again, highlighting the massive power needs to charge quickly. Massive <laughs> power needs. That's a that's yeah. a lot of power. I was going to I was going to note when you scroll down to the bottom, it mentioned something like we're going to increase our, you know, capacity to a, a one megawatt uh, charging capability. And there are other articles that are talking about the future of their of their capabilities, but it still doesn't talk to what you've highlighted, Paul, which is like charging speed. You know what? I mean, how how are you planning on delivering that level of energy and it's, it's interesting. It's so I find interesting. it interesting that, you know, we talk about fast charging uh, for, uh, you know, like commuter vehicles, that sort of thing, which there's really not as big of a use case for that. Most people are going to end up charging at home. But uh, really more of the concern to me seems like it should be about uh, transitioning, you know, semis over to electric and because the need a lot of times is going to be that they will they will require fast charging um rather than slower charging um like i feel like that the fast charging network for that is is much more important and obviously much uh larger draw on the system yeah the use case for transport like large uh, trucking transportation is like a really good use case because they use a lot of fuel Mm -hmm. and an electric motor works really well because it's got a lot of torque, but that does require different power needs because you've got to keep them on the road, right? That's the entirety of the use case. So, which just highlights the need as Aaron, you pointed out for charging speed fees to make sure you're sending the right price signal. I am very much a proponent of making sure you, when you're communicating these programs along with energy efficiency measures, you need to be communicating the revenue requirement associated with them, not just the rate you're charging, um, because ultimately the end user is going to need to bear the revenue requirement of the service they're using. And any subsidization in the near term is fine to enable adoption, but needs to be reflective of the revenue requirement. Ultimately, that service is going to have to bear. Absolutely. End of rant. Okay, up next, uh, Clearing Up posted an article in the last week capturing the current concerns surrounding the rising stellar sea lion populations and their impact on fish. While the data surrounding stellar sea lions is not complete, as the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been focusing its efforts on California sea lion removal, current data shows that these stellar sea lions now account for more than 90% of the spring Chinook predation events and have swelled in population to more than 70,000 by 2013. The article noted that biologists believe there is a cycle of feeding, returning to breeding grounds, informing others of the good news of fish, and coming back to feeding grounds with more friends, not unlike how uh, fishing works for me. 
Uh, to break this cycle, fish managers are looking to capture and lethally remove stellar, these stellar sea lions with their new authorization to do so. For a well-written article that dives into some of the history here and further information, read Casey Mahaffey's article on stellar sea lions at Bonneville Dam from issue 2001. You can also find it online, Casey Mahaffey, friend of the underground, well-written article. Very well-written. I could not have even have captured it uh, with a 400-word lead, Ian, so <laughs> I can't accept criticism. Ian and I have a great <laughs> new tool for uh, writing leads, by the way. We might let you in on the secret at some point. I now that we're about ready is. to take a break. Yep. <laughs> On Tuesday, April 27th, BPA hosted another workshop in the series on EIM implementation. Its updated implementation roadmap maintains a go-live date of March 2022. The workshop highlighted updates to BPA's EIM customer impact summary. Summary is published on their website under the EIM initiative. Variable energy resource forecasting, Western EIM governance, and post-go-live EIM reporting were also covered in the workshop. Post-go-live EIM reporting is a specific area of interest to Paul. In their response to customer comments, BPA is proposing adding quarterly reports to the quarterly business review technical workshop. The report would include metrics from CAISO's quarterly benefit report. Is that QBR from the previous sentence the same? I, no, I said it's that different. Right. BPA is... Uh, okay. QBR, so the previous QBR review. is... Okay. And there's Kaiso's quarterly benefit report. Right. Okay. Different QBRs. <laughs> BPA is also provo- proposing a qualitative market update, which would provide a venue for discussion on how groups are adapting and ways new market changes may impact BPA's EIM participation. Comments are requested by May 11th. The next EIM implementation workshop is scheduled for May 19th. All the materials can be found under the projects tab on bpa.gov. Just select energy imbalance market. Okay, I'm so contractually. I, oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, my my comment is not going to be nearly as interesting as yours. I just counted the number of acronyms in there, and it was 15. We may have set a new record for number of acronyms in Elite. Yes, we're true public power people. Uh, we have all the acronyms. <laughs> I'm, I'm contractually obligated to every time the you know, participation principles come on is to highlight how awesome they are. Willie Robert and uh, Bonneville did a great job adopting these principles. Um, I'm so interested in the like reporting out of EIM benefits because part of the principles are making sure that Bonneville continues to evaluate whether its participation is in the best interest of its customers and making sure you have a follow-up to be able to comply with that principle is incredibly um, important. So I'm glad they're at least considering it. Uh, we'll rely on my peers at PPC to make sure that it's good enough. Okay, that's all the news we're covering this week. Send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter, at a power manager, or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul? No, no corrections from last week. I did want to highlight two things. First, uh, we're taking next week off. Uh, we much deserve self-care. We're going to take some vacation uh, and take a pause for a week. Uh, the second thing is we have a special After Dark episode coming up. We're on uh, the last week of May. We're going to have Susan Ackerman on to do a mailbag. So if you have any questions for Susan Ackerman or just want questions answered by the Public Power Underground 
uh, crew in an after dark format. Uh, send them our way. Open the open the mailbag questions, and it's going to be loose. It's going to be fun. It'll be our only episode that week. I've learned my lesson from trying to do both an after dark and a regular episode that that is a lot of work and a lot of writing and a lot of coordination. So we're just doing one. We're just doing one that week, an after dark episode. Send us your mailbag questions. Going to be great. Going to be fun. Thanks, Paul. Captain Bledsoe. Any yeah. uh, grammar for you? Me? You know there are, Brian. I'm sure I am. First, Paul mentioned that utilities are people, and I'm not sure that's the case. Um, I'm sorry. It's not Brian's fault because technically Paul hamstrung you by not including the accent in his name, but Mr. Morrissey's name is pronounced Tomas. And I want to be, I actually, this is a good correction. So Slack won't let you do the control uh apostrophe a that that word uses so every time i tried to type tomas um it wouldn't so it's it was a, i was hamstrung by slack <laughs> well i probably would have screwed it up regardless but and <laughs> finally an energy saving tip from klatskan ipud power department as the weather heats up you can turn up your thermostat and take off your sweaters paul i know there. it was i, I don't have a power yeah. on underneath there <laughs> It is. <laughs> that took me just a beat, and so it felt a little weird for a second. It's a weird comment to make. Actually, you guys are not Classic IPUD customers, so do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Okay. The air conditioning is not on. Uh, the air conditioning is not on. Um, I am a cold-blooded person. I end up wearing sweaters all the time, and it's I fine, can't. and I'm not self-conscious about it. Yeah, I'm wearing a Blazers t-shirt, so I'm already being stood up by your guys' collared shirts. Hey, I got short sleeves on, though. Nice. And there's nothing wrong with a Blazers t-shirt on (laughs) Thursday, the last day of our work week. Yeah, this is true. Maybe might might go against the policy, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, that was, were we still waiting for me? That was all I had. All right. Well, on that note, we will be back next week to talk about public power and public power. Two weeks. weeks. Sorry. Two weeks. I should have updated that. That's my fault. Two weeks, the 13th and then the 20th, then public power after dark. And we'll see where we go from there. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We're all in this together, whatever we endeavor, yeah. Public Power Underground is a Northwest Public Power News from Power Department's perspective, presented for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Scott, Tomas, and Greg feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.